This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation. My name is John Chandler. A couple notes before we get into this week's interview. Our partner today is Audible. Audible is a way to listen to audiobooks on the go on your device, much like you're listening to this podcast right now, wherever you may be, in the car, in the gym. Uh, you can listen to full book. I will recommend one for you that I find helpful and is actually mentioned in this podcast. That is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. She just talks about her process as a writer, and I find there's a lot of parallels there between what she does writing and some of the work of thinking about and preparing sermons as this ongoing craft. So that's Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. You can get that for free if you go to audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith. You'll sign up for a trial. You'll get a free book. And then if you continue after that, it'll be fourteen ninety five a month where you can get a book every month. I found it a great way to stock up on some audiobooks that I listen to, uh, especially I appreciate memoirs and history. I find those are easy to listen to, and they often make my way into my sermons. So audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith, and that's also a way you can support the podcast when you go to that link. My guest today is Kevin Doy. Kevin is the founding pastor of Epic Church in downtown Fullerton, California, a church that he's been serving now for many years. Just has lots of thoughtful wisdom to bring to how sermon prep works for him and their multi-ethnic church. And of course, I enjoyed this one, just like all of them. I met Kevin a few years ago, well, actually, probably maybe even like seven or eight years ago at a conference and just knew then that he was somebody who had a lot of depth and a lot to say, even with our limited conversation, and that certainly proved true. So let's move right into this week's conversation with Kevin. Well, Kevin, you are the pastor of, and you were the church planter, I believe, originally, yes, of Epic Church? Yeah, that's right. In Fullerton. That's correct. Yeah. So tell us, uh, tell us about Epic Church. Give us an idea of your context. Yeah, well, uh, we're this little eclectic church in Fullerton, uh, California. Uh, for those of you who are not aware it's, um, of the geography, it's the city just north of Anaheim, which, uh, which is where Disneyland sits. Um, but we are a church plant. Uh, we're American Baptist. Our mother church uh, is Evergreen Baptist Church um, in the San Gabriel Valley. And uh, we're about 15 years old. And um, so we're historically an Asian American church, and um, yeah, and so we we consider ourselves an Asian American multicultural church, and so uh, we're still about 65 percent Asian American, um, and then mostly white and Latino, and we have a sprinkling of other. Um, but yeah, we we uh, our epicenter is in downtown Fullerton which is the heart of our city. Um, it's a very diverse city. And uh, a lot of the kind of hub of activity, a lot of restaurants and bars and clubs and that kind of thing are in downtown. So we're kind of in the heart of that. But Fullerton is also a very interesting city in that it has um, uh, primarily three very distinct low-income working class neighborhoods as well. And so we're involved in some of those neighborhoods, uh, primarily with our, uh, with our nonprofit and then, um, in collaboration with some of the other nonprofit work that's being done in the city. And so it's a really great place to be. And what, uh, I mean, is the demographic of those neighborhoods match the demographic of your church or is there some cross demographic? <laughs> I think I just invented a phrase, uh, going on there. Yeah, so the the neighborhoods are primarily Latino working class uh, immigrants, so first generation uh, neighborhoods, 
And so, um, no, we, we don't really encourage folks from those neighborhoods to, to come to our church. Um, and it's very, very delicate and sensitive matter in terms of, at least from our end, in terms of, uh, understanding the power dynamics. Um, and so we've made a very long-term commitment to one neighborhood in particular called the Garnett neighborhood, uh, where our nonprofit started its work. Uh, we're moving on to some other neighborhoods as well now. Uh, but there's some really good churches in those neighborhoods that, that, um, um, neighbors who do end up going to church will be attending those churches and not ours. Yeah. Um, but we um, we try to build relationships, long term relationships in those neighborhoods. Um, but we're not trying to extract folks from those neighborhoods to come to our church. Yeah. Okay. And uh, if I remember right, you were Korean American. Is that right? I'm actually Japanese American. Oh, you're Japanese. Yeah, American. I'm a third generation Japanese American, and uh, my parents, both sides, and their families were in the internment camps during World War II. So wow. that's part of my legacy. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, did you grow up in Southern California? I did. I was born and bred in Los Angeles. I haven't ventured very far. Um, yeah, and became a Christian in college and, uh, went to Fuller Seminary in Pasadena and, uh, yeah, church planted. So Epic is, uh, the second church plant that I helped pioneer. Um, my wife's from, from Orange County and, and, uh, Yes, we ended up somehow God led us to to Fullerton, and so we've been uh, there in uh, last uh, I don't know ten ten or so years. So I, I commented several years ago to one of my friends here in Austin at a church called Vox Vignette. You're probably mm-hmm. familiar with Vox. yeah, Gideon. Yeah, Gideon. Actually, I think this conversation, if I remember right, happened with one of the other guys on staff there. But um, you know, I talked about how. I feel like some of the most diverse churches that I've seen actually are pastored by Asian American pastors, especially younger, you know, not necessarily culturally Asian American churches. And, you know, his response was typically, excuse me. Well, typically that's because these churches are already multicultural, even though they might not look like it to you, (laughs) you know, basically saying, because I might not recognize the diversity of the Asian Americans within that. Is, Is that the case for your church as well? When you say it's, 65% 65% Asian American. I assume there's some diversity there too. Yeah. So, you know, Asian American is a racialized category. And so, yes, it's not monolithic in any, uh, any, any sense of the word. So even trying to define what Asian American is for Asian Americans is really complex and difficult. So, uh, we have, uh, Japanese, Chinese, Korean American, we have Vietnamese, Filipino, Thai, Indonesian. So yeah, I, I think very similar to Vox. Um, very, we might uh, from the outside um, seem to be very similar. And there's definitely some commonalities, but uh, we come from very different cultures. Um, we don't share the same language, mother tongue. Um, and so it makes us very diverse. Um, so yes, even within the Asian American context, there's great diversity. Yeah. And and even for you, you know, you talk about mother tongue. Did you primarily grow up speaking English or do you feel like you grew up kind of enculturated Japanese still? Or do you feel like you're as much a typical Orange County, you know, person of any color of skin? Yeah. Um, or L.A. County. I guess you said L.A. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I only grew up speaking English. My parents speak English. Um, they could understand my grandparents, their parents. Um, but the, the one thing about the Japanese um, experience in America that's, I think, unique amongst Asian Americans is that uh, we were in the internment camps. And so um, in many ways, once uh, the Japanese... Um, left the camps and resettled, um, there was a really strong desire amongst Japanese Americans to assimilate um, Hmm. because they wanted to be known as American. Uh, They wanted to prove their loyalty to America. And so um, they, I think they really downplayed kind of their cultural heritage, which included language. Um, So language school, like going to Japanese school was around when I was growing up, but it there weren't too many kids that I knew of who went to Japanese school. And so um, in some ways we, um, I think weren't encouraged to actually uh, embrace our cultural Asian Japanese in this case, heritage quite as much as I think uh, some um, other Asian Americans, particularly those who have, who have uh, immigrated here more recently. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's kind of unique. And so I feel in many ways more Americanized, but, as many Asian Americans are, I think we uh, we often don't feel American enough because we're Asian, and we don't feel Asian enough because we're American. Right. Um, and so we kind of live in these three, <clears throat> these two worlds. And then the the church that you were planted out of was that a, a ethnic church at all, or was it a predominantly white church? It was a. Uh, uh, historically Japanese American church and then mm-hmm. uh, had evolved into a uh, much more um, Asian American church. At one time, I think it was the fastest growing Asian American church in the country. And at the time, pretty rare uh, because most Asian churches were still mo- kind of mono ethnic at the time. And so this was much more of a blended multi-Asian kind of church. And so we were planted out of that context and, uh, I think because of our emphasis on justice and neighborhood and those kinds of things uh, and really being committed to place, um, we, I think we just drew from um, other cultures as well um, yeah. and other ethnicities. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, why don't you talk to us then about just from that framework, talk to us about the sermon itself, you know, preaching as an act in the life of your community. Like what would you say the role of the sermon is? in the, in the week to week of Epic. Yeah, I think, um, you know, our large gatherings are still the kind of our corporate space. And so I, I tend to think of, um, preaching or the sermon as, um, an opportunity to define reality. Um, and so I think, um, as I understand it anyway, the proclamation of the, of the kingdom of God that has come near to us, is a way to um, to speak to the reality of Christ's presence among us, and um, yeah, and so um, I think it's central to our uh, worship service, but it's not actually the the uh, the landing place um, for us. And so we, we tend to think of our, our entire worship service as a, uh, a space in which um, 
we are going to connect with one another and with God. And so the sermon really is um, a vehicle, I think, to um, to hear God speak to us. Um, and the hope for me anyway as a preacher is to lead people to the Lord's table and to worship and to really interacting with God and not so much me as the preacher. Yeah. And then um, I'm looking, I'm just flipping through your podcast right now. It looks like you invite quite a few other voices. Like how often do you preach yourself? Um, I preach maybe half the time, maybe a little less than half. Uh, my um, my um, associate, Aaron Hamilton, uh, he preaches... Uh, he preaches about uh, as much as I do, if not a little bit more. He's a really gifted teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we like to we like to have other voices as well join us. And so, for whatever reason, we have a lot of um, graduates from seminary, and we have a lot of professors. And so, uh, some of them I think are very much called to preach. And so, we try to include them um, as much as we can. Um, just to hear other perspectives and other voices. Yeah. Um, I think because we're an Asian American church as well, we, we uh, are very keen on highlighting Asian American women in particular to give them a space and voice and place to, to proclaim God's word for us. Yeah. Uh, so that being the case, like even, you know, planning out in advance, I mean, it looks like you typically do just series that might be textual related or topical related, but what is that? What does that process for you of planning out series in advance look like? How far do you do it? You know, and then how do you determine who's preaching when? And it just how does all that come together? Yeah. Um, I think our, our anchor points um, are, you know, uh, Lent and Advent. Um, and so we, we don't stick closely to... Um, the church calendar other than kind of those two events. And so we kind of assume those are going to be there. Um, so we might build around Eastern and Advent, but in between, I think we, we really try to discern what we think God might be doing amongst us. And we will uh, anticipate what might be a sermon series to, to speak to that, to address that, to help our, um, our community and congregation, I think, enter into what God is doing among us a little bit more. So much of preaching, I think, is linguistic and, and helping to give people language and imagination for whatever God's doing among us. So that's kind of how we think about our sermon series. And then basically we just sit down in our office most of the time and whiteboard a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, and so we might plan out a few a few months or a quarter at a time. Um, something like that. And uh, depending on what the subject matter is, uh, largely will determine who we might ask to speak. Um, and, and when you're saying, ahead. and when you're saying we in all this, is this the staff that's talking through all this? Yeah. And primarily Aaron and myself, Okay, um, we're the primary um, teachers in our church. And so it's, it's usually us. Um, so that's basically uh, what we do. Um, you know, we might we might talk to our board and other folks just to get their feedback and input. But basically through all of that, we're trying to discern um, in various ways what God's doing and what might seem pertinent and poignant at this point in our church's life. 
So I think we tend to think of our sermons as prophetic. And what I mean by that is that um, for each Sunday, it does feel like we're preparing a message that is meant to be preached on that day to this group of people uh, for this particular time in our church's life. And so a lot of my sermons, I don't feel like I could just preach them in another place at another time. Hmm. Uh, I certainly have, but it needs a lot of tweaking because of when I when I prepared that particular sermon, it felt like it was for that for our particular church um, at that given time. Yeah. Um, and so I think we, we think of our sermons in that way, um, in our series in that way. Yeah. So, uh, so lean into that a little bit more because I've been kicking around some of the same ideas. Uh, I mean, I'm even preaching actually at Vox Vignette this weekend, and I'm mm-hmm. going to use a sermon that's a sermon I've already preached, you know, in the life of our community. And even so you're, you're touching on a point of curiosity for me right now. Yeah. But yeah. Talk specifically about how you've seen that play out. Like how, how has there been a sermon where you feel like I have a sense that this is for our people that maybe you thought about using in another place and realized it just isn't going to work or, or, or how might your sermon be, how might you tweak it or change it if you needed to use it in another place? Yeah. And so when I'm preparing, I, th- I'm praying about, um, um, so the image I use, it's from a guy named Jim Detmer. Um, I don't even sure what he's doing nowadays, uh, but this is like over 20 years ago, but he, he described a sermon as the word of God poured through the life of a preacher to the needs of the people. And I just feel like that's a helpful imagination for me to, to think of the, the flow of, of that. And so I think throughout, I, I'm just asking God to help me like he has a message for uh this group of people before me and so for me to be able to receive whatever he might be saying and so i certainly have the 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 congregation or the audience in mind as i'm preparing um so i certainly don't start there but i do have them in mind and so when i think of like the sermon illustrations and how i might incarnate and the stories I might use, I'm thinking of a particular congregation or group of people. Um, and so when, when I've used this, when I've used a sermon that I preached at Epic in another place, I have to really at least rethink who I am standing before when I'm preaching that sermon, because it's a different audience. Sure. And, and certainly some of the same stories are going to connect um, but there's a word for epic when I preach that sermon for the first time. It's a word for us for that time. And it may not be the same word that, that God intends for a different audience. And so that's just kind of what I have to wrestle with. Um, and so it may mean that I have to change quite a bit of the sermon. Um, sometimes it doesn't mean I have to change much, but I might have to nuance what the word might be for, for that particular church. All right. So now let me pivot this question another direction, which is, you know, you're having that sense as kind of the founding pastor of Epic that when you preach this sermon, you know, that there's some sense of what you're bringing. Uh, How much, how much does that also happen for, I mean, I would certainly imagine this might happen for Aaron because he's also on staff, but even as you're inviting other voices, how much do you encourage 
or give them freedom to say, you are standing in this place to have a voice for our community that that's going to continue to shape our community. You understand the question of what I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we try, we try to give folks, a, a the freedom to, you know, to preach the word as, um, that comes to them. Some, some, depending on what the type of series will rework an old sermon. Um, but we do try to encourage them to think that uh, you have something to say to us. And that's why you're preaching. That's why we've asked you to preach, to fill the pulpit. Like you have something really valuable to say to us. And so, yeah, we'll even frame, I think, the instructions and directions that way for them to, um, I think, think about our context versus just giving a generic sermon. That might be wonderful. Um but I, I, I think we, I think because we think of our, our worship service um, as a time where God, God wants to meet us in a particular way. And so the sermon is part of, of shaping that time and defining that time for us of what God might be saying to us. And so I, th- I think we just naturally think of it that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, I mean, you map out then several months in advance and you know which ones that you're going to be doing. So what I'd love to do is just dial in like practically day to day, week to week, whatever it might look like for any given sermon that you're going to give. Like how, how does, what does your preparation process look like? Like some kind of timeline of that and tools you use. Yeah. um, I I love the trepidation I just heard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, well, on good weeks, this is how it usually goes. Um, <laughs> the qualifier. It's a, it's a standard yeah, thing here on this podcast. Yeah. So if I know in advance, I might have, I might uh, cobble together as it comes to me, uh, just some thoughts and notes. But typically, um, I have Mondays off. And so Tuesday, I will try to get into the text. And I will actually print out the text almost like a manuscript study. And it allows me, I think, to try to see the text afresh, to make the familiar unfamiliar. And so it gives me an, an opportunity to just to scribble, to write, to circle keywords, you know, those kinds of things, and to kind of make it new for myself and um, to let God speak to me um, about what the text might be saying. And so from there, you know, I'll work around that and try to uh, understand um, uh, so like we're in Ephesians at this moment. So I might, um, to understand Ephesians, which has a lot of, um, a lot of is undetermined. I think about, uh, Ephesians, like who, you know, there's some question of if Paul actually wrote it or not. So authorship, um, not sure if it was a circular letter or just to the church in Ephesus. So there's a lot of unknowns about Ephesians. And so, you know, I'll try to understand why this letter What's the context? What's going on? So for me in, in Ephesians, I had to go back and look at you know Acts 19 and 20 and try to reconstruct some of the events with Paul in Ephesus, um, the riots there, um, some of the, um, the uh, opposition to the gospel and kind of the economic disruption that's happening there and some of the other gods. Uh, Paul's farewell to the Ephesians and this cryptic kind of message that there will be wolves among you who will 
come to devour you once I leave. So I try to reconstruct what might be going on and how that might relate to us. Um, so that's on Tuesday. And then for the rest of it, I, I think I try to narrow down at least by Wednesday, what's going to be my main point. I don't want to have like three or four points. I want to have one main point mm-hmm. that I might come up, come away in different ways. Um, so I'm in Ephesians 2, uh, the latter part. And so I think I'm going to focus in on peace. Jesus is our peace. Um, he's come to proclaim peace. He has made peace. That seems to be very central. And so I will, I think I'm settling to today's Wednesday. So I'm going to settle probably on peace and Jesus being our peace and what that might mean for us. Um, and then really is I will spend the rest of the week, I think, just letting the message stew <laughs> yeah. and ferment. Um, and so I, instead of having a, uh, a template that I try to fit a sermon into, I try to let the sermon write itself. Um, and so in other words, um, I will, I will let it structure itself based on the text and what it, what I think God wants us uh, wants us to hear. What I I feel led to to say, and then um, I will just think about different stories and ways to illustrate um, the point I'm trying to make. Um, and so I might go to um, I just store stuff in like Pocket, um, yeah. the app. Sure. Um, uh, Evernote uh, notes. I, I just store different things that I hear and see, and I just store a bunch of stuff. And I'll kind of, um, kind of look at those places to see um, what what might relate. Uh, and I just kind of keep my antenna uh, up during the week about ways to kind of connect the message to what's going on in our country, or the world, or our neighborhoods. Do you have some um, kind of like within those? Do you have some kind of tagging or structure to keep track of what you have in there? I don't. Um, so I'll just kind of search. So I might search like peace, or I might search yeah. reconciliation, or those kinds of those kinds of things. Yeah, I'm not real good at tagging. <laughs> I'm, I'm too lazy, so I, I just save it. and It's good enough for me, and I hopefully can find it later on. Um. So I, I think for me, preaching. Um, um, because of of the definition I gave before about the the Word of God poured through the life of the preacher, I think um, I feel like the sermon needs to be incarnated for me. So that means a couple things. One that um, the medium is the message in a sense that um, that um, they're hearing the Word of God preached, but it's being preached by me in particular, and so. Um, I have to deal with, so I stand under the very uh, sermon that I'm preaching. It's not like me over and against the congregation. Like I'm, I'm also sitting with them hearing the same sermon. It's being preached to me first in some ways. And so I have to wrestle with what the sermon means for me before I ever give it. And so I'm looking for how I'm dealing with this sermon, how it bothers me, how it encourages me, how it challenges me how I either have experienced what I'm preaching about or fall short. And I want to bring that to the sermon. Um, And I think with the stories, I want to make them personal 
And I'm very cognizant of stories that I think will, will move people at a heart level. Um, I don't want to manipulate feeling, but I do want people to feel something. Yeah. And, um, I think of this particularly because we're primarily Asian American context. And so there is a way that, um, and this is more of an archetype. It's yes, there's a stereotype of a model minority, which I think we need to uh, dispute, but, but in general, I think there is a way in which uh, there's a high value on achievement, particularly academic achievement, uh, career achievement in Asian American cultures and settings um, and so there's a way in which we are very good at digesting, um, information. And so we naturally go there. And so we hear a sermon, uh, we're, we're hearing it for its information and usefulness. Um, but I want to, I, I want people to be moved, um, at their gut level. Um, because I think it's not just about, oh, I'm walking away having learned something, but I, I want people to know that um, God has spoken to me and God has moved me and has challenged what I value, uh, what I care about. And I think um, there's much more likely an opportunity, I think, for transformation and change that way. And so um, I, I, I keep that in mind as I'm thinking about what, how to illustrate um, the points in the sermon. It's interesting to me. It almost sounds like um, I'm hearing my voice echoing back to me. Are you hearing that? Yeah, a little bit. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, maybe I can fix it later. Uh, it's interesting to me, though, that it it almost feels like what you're doing in your sermon prep is what you're hoping to accomplish when you preach the sermon, right? Like you do a little bit of work with the text kind of get to what you want to say, but then you just kind of gut it out for the final few days of the week because you want the sermon ultimately to hit people's gut as well. Is that a fair? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I take, I take it seriously in the sense that I think, um, you know, and this is what makes preaching difficult is, Week after week, you're hoping to say something significant and meaningful to people. Yeah. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church. And so um, there's a part of me that's still, um, I'm still motivated, I think, like um, with a thought that, you know, people are, are, are here. Um, I think they're longing. They may, they may not know this. It may not be conscious on their mind, but they're, they're, I think they're longing to hear a word of grace to them. And I never want to waste people's time in that very, you know, that 30, 40 minute time that I, I have such a privilege to, to occupy with them. And there's something really powerful and profound that God is doing um, at that time. Um, and so I take that very seriously, I think. Um, and so, so much of my sermon prep is really trying to wrestle with God on what he's trying to say to us and what he's trying to say to me, um, without taking myself too seriously in that process. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so I, I do want to be vulnerable. Um, I do want to share as much about what I don't know and how I don't live this out well. Um, 
and yet to say something encouraging uh, to folks that God is at work in their lives, that God's at work in our church, that God is at work in our world, despite what we might see, despite what we might feel. Um, and so really that's kind of what I'm after. So I'm, I'm going to circle backwards and then I'm going to circle forwards from Wednesday. But, you know, you talk about a lot of Tuesday is just looking at the text itself and getting an idea of what was said then. So, you know, you know what it might say now and all that. What what kind of tools and resources do you really sit with for that? Um, so, again, I print out the text as a manuscript. Um, I might look at Blue Letter Bible for mm-hmm. word. Uh, word study. Um, I use crosswalk just to get a printout of the text. Basically, I might look at some other um, translations, and then I'll sit with it. I'll try to come to a um, some kind of point, um, and then and then I'll I'll consult other other books. Uh, I might consult a commentary or two. Um, I like the uh, New International Commentary, the New Testament. I think Joel Green is a editor. That's kind of my go-to if it's available. Um, like the, uh, the NICNT? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like uh, he's – I like Joel Green, so he's trustworthy to me. Um, so I might look there. I might look at a few few commentaries. And then I'll think about, like in this case, peace. And so I might try to think, well, who's written about that? Um, um, who might have something profound to say? So I, I'm naturally thinking of an Anabaptist <laughs> uh, in this case, um, who might have something to say about um, peacemaking. Um, uh, since I'm in Ephesians, uh, James Dunn wrote a great book called The Theology of Paul the Apostle. Um, so I, I might look there. So I, I will kind of look to other resources and sources to help me understand um, the context, what Paul might be saying in this case, that kind of thing. And are you uh, uh, are you a Bible software guy, or are these bookshelves in your office? Yeah, I still I'm still very much into uh, to print. Yeah. So I, I I tend to go to books. Um, I'm really only online for uh, for illustrations and videos and those kinds of things, more of the pop culture kind of stuff, uh, or what's on the news cycle. So I'll listen to NPR. Um, I like some of their um, – here in L.A., it's KCRW, um, but um, like The Moth. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, people post a lot of great stuff on Facebook or Twitter – um, and so when I come across a story or the New York times, I come across a story, I'll save it. And, uh, so I just have a, um, collection of, of things I can go to, to see if they'll work. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's, that kind of covers what you do on Tuesday, but then, you know, we've talked about Wednesday getting that main point, And then you just talk about letting the sermon write itself and sit with it. Obviously something happens between Wednesday and Sunday. I think you guys meet on Sunday morning. Uh, yeah. So uh, like what, how does it finally take shape? Do you finally just sit down and hack out the ideas in your mind or are you jotting things down all week or what, what happens there? Yeah. And so uh, Wednesday at the very latest Thursday, I will actually start uh, just jotting a bunch of stuff down on paper there might not be any rhyme or reason, but I go, Oh, this is a great story. I think I might open with that. Um, 
We have discussion questions during our sermons, uh, usually two of them. So one near the beginning, uh, which anyone can answer. And it's really to help kind of prep their hearts um, and have conversation with people around them about what I'm going to talk about. Hmm. And so I'll pose a discussion question. So I think I'm thinking about that. Um, but I'm just writing stuff that I've discovered through my own study. And then uh, like stuff that's in the commentaries or other books, like, Oh, that's really good. That's a great quote, or that's a great point. I'll just write a bunch of stuff down. So I might have about two or three pages having done that. Hmm. And these are just um, random notes, like you're yeah, just random notes. Just, yeah, yeah, random notes. Sometimes they'll come like, like I'll think about the order kind of intuitively, as in, like, oh, this will be a great closing point, uh, or this, um, this speaks to peace. So it's somewhere in the middle. So I, I might kind of cobble together that original draft in some order, but I'm just basically trying to get stuff down on paper. And then what I do is I, I just let it stew. And as other things come to me, I'll jot them down. Um, and then usually on Friday, I will start really trying to piece it together, put it in some coherent order. Um, and then I kind of write um, a almost a manuscript because I want to be precise in what I'm trying to say. And words, I think, matter for me. Um, and so I'll try to um, – I'll tend to write as – that sounds like how I speak. And so I will write in that kind of, I'm not writing the kind of academic paper I'm writing the way that I would talk. And so I'll write, um, a manuscript. I'd never write out my stories. Um, I might give me some bullet points for reminders about what key details I want to tell in the story. And I always make sure that the point of the story, I write it down because sometimes I'm telling a story and I forget what the point is. Um, cause that transition is really important. Um, but I'll try to have something that looks pretty solid by Friday. And then usually sometime on Saturday, either in the morning or in the evening, late evening, I'll try to rework it again. And then Sunday morning, I'll get up early, uh, 5.30 or 6, and I'll rework it again. And so it's basically this, uh, it's like writing. You write a bad first draft <laughs> And then the more I can keep coming back to it, refining it, refining it, um, yeah, basically where I'm at on Sunday morning needs to feel like this is this is pretty good. I feel pretty good about this. Um, it doesn't always feel that way, but most of the time it's like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. Yeah. Um, and there's three parts for me in sermon uh giving a sermon one is the actual sermon itself and what's on paper and so i still bring like paper to the pulpit mm -hmm. we just use a music stand um so there's that there's a the writing of the sermon then for for me um there's like the slides so we have these slides that accompany the sermon and how i use those slides are just as important i think as the sermon itself so a really good like image or photo uh, can make a huge difference, especially when I'm telling a story or making a point. Uh, I don't have a ton of slides, but I try to have these like key, key figures or just like very like single sentence points or an image. 
And so like that's that's the second aspect. And then the third aspect is actually the, the delivery. So sometimes I don't feel very good about the sermon written, but it turns out in the delivery, like God just does something there that I can't reproduce. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm really, really happy about the sermon that I've, that I've written, and it just doesn't work for whatever reason. It falls flat, doesn't connect us. Yeah, that, that never happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I feel like those three things together, on the rare occasion that they really come together, uh, I think it's somehow God uses it, uh, speaks to people, and people walk away. I think, I'm hoping, uh, having encountered God. Um, that's really the point for me. Uh, do, you know, do they, do they come away having encountered God and worship God? Yeah. So, uh, so as you're talking, you're about, talking this, about this, there's that echo again. Uh, as you're talking, uh, about, talking this, about this, I per- perceive you kind of have a quiet uh, confidence just that you know that if you do the work, the sermon will come together. And I would imagine a lot of that comes with having preached even in the same congregation for 15 years. Uh, how long do you feel like it took you to get to a place? And may- maybe you're thinking, oh, you're totally fooling me because you don't have a quiet confidence. I don't know. But you know, how long, and I'm asking this really on my own behalf, but I just know we have a lot of people who listen or are still on the earlier stages of their own sermon crafting, you know, careers, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, how, how long do you feel like you were doing this before you felt like I've found a rhythm that I can settle into and know that I'm going to have something to speak into the life of our community every week or every other week? Like how long did it take to get to like this kind of uh, process for me? Yeah, because there's a lot of gut work that you're doing. Like there's a lot of just I know that I do this amount of work and the rest of it will kind of fall into place. And I don't mean you're, you know what I mean? I, I don't mean you're extemporaneous, but you're like, yeah. I know that yeah. if I do this, the pieces will come together. Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. And I don't know if I could answer that. Um, well, I will say that early on, what I did as a young preacher was I tried to incorporate elements of preaching that I really appreciated from other preachers. As I was trying to find my voice and how to construct a sermon and how I might preach it, um, I really, like, uh, there are um, so I got my narrative preaching from my mentor, Ken Fong. Um, and basically he tells a story with his sermon. And so like, I, I like that. And it just kind of intuitively that felt more right to me than a three point sermon. Although three point sermons are great. Um, I liked the way that our, like my former senior pastor, um, used stories. Um, there are some great, uh, preachers who tell wonderful stories. So I'll listen to them and how they tell a story. And so I would try to mimic telling a story that way. And so as I did this, I tried to make it my own and then to, to incorporate it into me so that it has my style to it, I, I yeah, guess, sure. until I found my voice. And just by doing it uh, over and over and over again, I think I, f- I could find my voice. And there's something for me, I think because it's, I, I feel like sermons um, for me are prophetic. Um, I, every sermon, there there are 
probably a handful of things that I will say that are not in my notes that I really didn't think too much about, but that just come out. Um, and maybe I, it's because I feel more comfortable in our context. Um, and so some of that, yeah, it's just feeling comfortable in my own skin and feeling like I could take a chance in saying some of these things. But I, I think I feel the sermon. I want to feel connected to the sermon and connected to myself and what God is doing. I think that's important for me. Sometimes I feel disconnected from what I'm saying, but I want to feel really connected. And when I feel really connected, um, I think I feel more freedom um, just, to, just to talk and to say what I think God is saying to us. Um, there was a great, uh, I like to watch Charlie Rose um, just because I, I, I like to think of myself as getting smarter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I subscribe to the New Yorker for the same reason. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't mean I read it, but I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm getting smarter or not, but uh, I like to think I am. Um, but uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I did, Charlie Rose interviews politicians and wonder, you know, high-minded folks, but uh, I think he, he appreciates the arts. And so he often have actors and musicians on from time to time to talk about their craft. And so Jake Gyllenhaal, he said that, um, uh, he said freedom, um, what is it? Let me, let me think of how he said it. freedom is, um, is the other side of discipline. Um, and so he talked about how preparation is the key. And so if you prepare well, then I think you have more freedom in the moment um, to, to, I think, leave the script behind if you need to, to say something um, that you think needs to be said. Yeah. Um, and so that's all I'm after. And for me, um, the way I work, it, I feel more comfortable having the time and the space to have let it stew um, and ferment in me and for me to at least have been able to edit and re-edit and edit and re-edit over and over again, at least, you know, four or five times um, to keep going back at it and to refine it. it. For me, it's like, it is just like writing. Um, that the more that you can go back and edit and re-edit, the better, the better, you know, that text is going to be. And is that manuscript what you ultimately bring up to the music stand with you? And how much, how close do you follow it? Yeah. So I bring a manuscript. Um, again, I don't have the, um, the stories manuscript, um, but I, I do bring it up. Um, on good days, I know it pretty well. And so uh, there are certain things I want to say precisely, and so I might tend to read it off the paper. But most of the time, I'm like glancing down at it and then looking up and just basically talking uh, because I know it fairly well. Yeah. And um, and I'm after interaction. Like at our, at our church, we're very much about um, – like at Epic, people, our congregation doesn't come and just sit and listen um, as um, like as observers. They're participating in what's going on. And so there are several points in our worship service where they're actually conversing with one another. And so, again, um, there's a 
sermon illustration at, I mean, a discussion question at the beginning where I have them turning into groups of three or four. I'll have them come back. Um, I have them stand for the reading of the word. Um, you know, there's slides going on. I'm preaching. Um, I have them go back into uh, groups for a discussion question near the end of the sermon. And that's really for them to process and to respond to what they just heard. And I'll just leave them with a, a very simple discussion question. Um, and that'll often lead if, uh, if the moment is right and it seems appropriate, like they'll pray together in those groups before they come and partake, partake of communion. And then communion, we have our worship music going on. People come to the table. Um, they'll often take, like with their small group that they might have just been with or their house church or with friends or family. We have a cross. We have prayer ministry. So there's a lot of interaction going on. And so the sermon really kind of, I think, is a word for us. It's a prompt of what God is saying to us. And the rest of it is really responding to God and to one another about what God is doing and supporting one another in what we see God doing. Yeah. Yeah, and so the interaction ultimately is not with me. Uh, it's with God. Um, and so, again, I, I try to incarnate the, 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 the sermon by standing underneath it with them. Yeah, which goes back to that. I even wrote this down. The Word of God poured through the life of the preacher to the needs of the people. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you kind of hold that in front of you or at the center of every, every sermon you put together. Yeah, it's definitely there um, at the beginning on Tuesday. I'm thinking um, this is this is the process. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, we'll start to wind down here. I'm aware of our time, but uh, are there books or other resources that have shaped either how you preach or who you are as a preacher that you think are helpful to share? Um, well, early on, um, I liked like Frederick Buechner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there's such a beauty in the way that he writes. It's, it, there's a kind of poetic, there's an, uh, aesthetic and artistry to the way he writes. Um, because he's a minister, he's a preacher. I took a lot of inspiration from that. I like particularly, I like his, he has like a, uh, uh, a trilogy of his own kind of his memoir that yeah. I find very powerful about how he tells stories. Very simple um, trilogy. You know, they're all, yeah, I can't think of the names of any of them, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Telling stories, yeah. I believe is one of them. And, um, obviously people like Anne Lamont, um, uh, now and, but, and I, I think I mind them because of the depth of their, of their thinking about God and life that feels very gray. Um, they're comfortable with the ambiguity of faith. Um, and I feel like that resonates with me. And so I think that comes out a lot in my sermons. Um, so they're not so much like how to preach, but they, right. but they help me to, I think, live the sermon again. Like help me to live life. Like God is saying something to us um, through, through the word. Um, and I think people like that help me to live honestly with God. And I think that's what ultimately I want to come out in this sermon. Um, I think that ultimately is what connects with people. Um, 
So uh, I can't even remember my preaching books when okay. I was seven, okay. to be honest. To be honest with you, well, it's, uh-huh. it, but it does match up with what you're saying, especially like when you say Anne Lamott. Like I think her Bird by Bird book, which I assume is one of the ones yes. you have in mind, so much yes. connects her work as a writer to just like her day to day life, and it almost feels like you're approaching the sermon with a very similar posture. Yes, it's like write you know crappy first first drafts, or when you can't think of what the sermon is about, just start with that square inch on your piece of paper. Just write something. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely, definitely. All right. Well, Kevin, thanks a lot. For somebody who wants to, you know, just keep up or, or maybe learn more about, you know, Epic and, and you, are there, I, I, obviously there's a church website. Can you tell us the church website or any social media, Twitter accounts, anything like that for you or the church? Yeah, um, epicchurch.net. Um, and you can find out a little bit more about our church, um, the sermons, um, are up there. Um, they're not currently being updated because the person who uh, updates them are, um, is on sabbatical. But um, but you can find sermons there. Um, uh, I'm uh, involved. I'm a co-founder of Hoya Scholars, J-O-Y-A Scholars.org. If you want to see some of our work in our neighborhoods in Fullerton, uh, you might find that helpful. Um, Kevin Doy, you can follow me on Twitter there. Um, I don't really post much interesting stuff, but if you want to follow me, you can there. <laughs> All right. Or maybe if they want to follow up and hit you with something on, you know, about what you said here, yeah. they know that. Well, Kevin, thanks a lot. It's, it's great to chat. Uh, I didn't give this framework, I guess, early on, but we met golly, probably eight years ago. And, uh, I, I knew even then it was a thoughtful conversation, but this, uh, this measured up to everything I hoped it would be. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great to uh, to reconnect after all those years. Yeah. So I appreciate you inviting me to, to share. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. Thanks, John. Thank you, friends. As always, if you want to know about some of the links, some of the gear, some of the books that Kevin mentions, you can find them at simonsmith.com. You can also find the running history of all of the books and all the gear that have been mentioned. Reviews on iTunes, always appreciated. If you've had good intentions to do that, I hear that from time to time. Why not do it right now? And always sharing on Twitter, sharing on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. People do LinkedIn, right? Uh, always appreciated. Thanks so much for listening. See you again in a few weeks.